I am told by the veterans of the 6.30 Ched morning show that uh, you, the Ched Nation, Chedville, Chedvillians, Cheddars, whatever you want to call yourselves, uh, love talking about bugs. Uh, and more specifically in this segment, love talking about bees. Uh, so if you do have something to add into this, because there's been a lot of anecdotal, a lot of talk about the bee population uh, so far this spring. If you want to jump in and tell me what you're seeing, uh, by all means, and then I'll, I'll share it. 780-496-0063 is our text line. As I say, lots of people talking about uh, what they believe to be a noticeable increase in the number of bees this spring. And Randy was talking about it during his newscast yesterday morning. So we thought we'd follow up and, and see just what's going on. And a really great person to talk to about this is our next guest, Dr. Olav Rupel. is a professor of honeybee biology at the University of Alberta joining us this morning. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. Is 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 this just anecdotal evidence or is there solid evidence? Uh, what, what's going on here? Do we see an increase in, in bee populations, in health? What's going on? Yeah, at this point, I, I'm afraid to say it's only anecdotal. Um, but, you know, if we have enough anecdotal evidence, then maybe uh, that warrants a, a systematic study. I should say that there are lots of long-term monitoring projects on our insect populations in place, um, and they have shown a long-term decline. Um, so maybe you know we see a little bit of a rebound from that decline, um, and that would be great news. Uh, and, and so, so give us an idea as to the, the importance of, of trying to reverse that decline, uh, where it came from, and, and what might bring sort of bee populations back a little bit. Yeah, so the declines are um, multifactorial and heterogeneous. And what I mean by that is that there are many different causes that contribute to the insect declines. Um, landscape use is certainly one of them, so that we don't have enough food for uh, pollinators and bees in specific. Um, pesticide use is another one that, um, or I should say abuse, um, that can contribute to sort of the uh, insect declines. Um, and then specifically um, for honeybees, where we know most, of course, um, there are also a number of diseases, pests and pathogens. Um, and it's, so it's, it's hard to say, well, we are turning a, uh, the corner here on, on some uh, long-term trends, but it's, it's certainly um, encouraging to see people reporting more insect um, sightings. Um, and um, it's, it's hard to say at this point if this is real or if it's just seasonal fluctuations. And if it is real, then we would need to certainly look into what actually causes it. Yeah, and what's what's driving it, or what's doing it, you know? And and I, I've already got a, a couple of a couple of uh, messages in on on our text line. And again, this is anecdotal, but like you say, if you get enough of these, it, it can make a difference, or at least can point you in a direction. So, you know, Amy's saying she's she sees big bumblebees everywhere these days. I've also heard about just the size. Now, is it just that we haven't seen an awful lot of them, and we're, we don't remember how big a bumblebee can get, or is size an indicator uh, in any way? Um, size is not necessarily an indicator of the health of the insect populations. And I would say that the size observations are certainly um, seasonal. Uh, particularly bumblebees are, of course, much bigger than our honeybees that we are most familiar with. Um, and they are active now, and they're particularly active now as 
queens. So um, bumblebees have an annual colony cycle where in the spring or early summer, the queens are still um, the only ones out there and they're foraging and the queens are bigger than the workers that they're raising later on in the year. Um, and that gives us the impression that the bees are bigger in the beginning of the summer when we just look at different kinds of bees. Oh, fascinating. Uh, you, you must uh, keep a, a, an open conversation with beekeepers, uh, commercial beekeepers, even hobby beekeepers and that kind of thing to, to, to get uh, to be able to test the temperature and, and see what's going on with the bee yeah. population overall. Do you? Yeah, I try. I try to keep a, a sort of a close contact um, with the commercial beekeepers here in Alberta. Alberta is, of course, the province that has the most um, honeybee colonies in Canada and produces most honey. And so, the commercial beekeeping industry is quite important here. It's represented by the Alberta Beekeepers Commission, um, and I'm in close contact with um, that commission. Um, but I'm also, you know, a member of the Edmonton Beekeepers Association and um, keep um, sort of contact with uh, the hobby beekeepers because I think it's also an important hobby for a lot of people, especially now that, you know, we can do things um, in our backyards probably more um, than we used to or where you yeah, you know, uh, with with COVID, and, and do you have concerns with with sort of hobby beekeepers? People may not be uh, that up on diseases and treatments and all that kind of thing. Because if you, if you get you can get a hive, and you can sometimes get uh, you know roving uh, bees that can go from from hive to hive. It's not that common, I suppose, but it can spread uh, disease or problems, etc. So it's yeah. really important that uh, for for people who are just getting into it to be aware uh, of what it, impact it can have on large operations as well and the overall population that's absolutely true um uh, you know we want beekeepers to be fully aware that it is not an easy hobby and that you need to know what you're doing um to not create more problems i mean lots of people are getting into beekeeping because they want to help you know the pollinators and um sort of do sort of the right thing um but it is uh, really important that that is well informed and then um, as you say if we have people that are not keeping up with their colonies they are creating basically um, volcanoes of diseases that spread basically to their neighbor colonies yeah. um, with these drifting bees yeah and what kind of resources are available for them because I know that there aren't a lot of uh, veterinarians who specialize in this particular area so they're they're really in demand uh, so where can people yeah. go if they are interested or if they just want to learn more about it yeah I mean the Different local chapters of beekeeping associations always put on um, training courses. There's also um, university resources um, and course beekeeping courses uh, offered. Um, and then we have in Alberta a provincial apiculturist um, who is um, mostly concerned with um, disease and inspections of hives and the health of hives. Um, so I'm, you know, quite confident that anybody who is looking can find enough help um, around the province. I, I am also hearing, actually, Quinn Older uh, sent me a note on, on Instagram asking me if I was seeing at, on my acreage uh, an increase in the number of bees, but also hornets and wasps, saying that uh, she's seeing a ton of them. Uh, the question is, is it the same? Are, are, are we dealing with the similar kind of environmental pressures on bees as you see on hornets and wasps, or are they an entirely different animal entirely? Because they certainly act like it. 
Yeah, well, their their nutritional habits are very different yes. because they are not vegetarians. Bees only eat pollen and nectar, right? So they are completely dependent on flowers. And hornets and wasps are more predatory or omnivores that eat kind of almost everything. Um, but their social organization is very similar. So they live in colonies um, where one queen basically lays all the eggs and all the workers are doing all the other tasks. And so in that regard, they are similar. Um, and they are certainly also subject to, you know, pesticides, for example, or insecticides specifically. They would die from those just as the bees would die. And it's, I think, important for your listeners to understand that not all of the bees are living this social lifestyle. So there's a lot of wild bee species, in fact, over 300 in Alberta that are... Um, you know, not living in colonies that are nesting in the ground or in a dead twig and um, raising the families just by themselves. Um, And those are, of course, also a lot of concern for conservation biologists because these species are not well known and not as abundant and not as well cared for as the honeybees. Uh, Just back to the hornets and wasps, do you pay attention to them as you're studying sort of bee populations? Do you also pay attention to what's going on with, uh, you know, the jerks of the bug world, the uh, hornets and wasps? Yeah, no. Uh, so I'm. I'm. My research personally is really focused on the honeybee, um, and um, yeah, other people do look at wasps and hornets, and of course, the Asian um, hornet is sort of a concern for bee bees. And if that's sort of invading Canada, then we would have to look at that. But at the moment, it's not a trend. Uh, and again, you know, why is this important? I've I've heard bees referenced as being like the canary in the coal mine uh, for for the general environment. Is that is that still a fair assessment? of uh, of the importance of, of keeping an eye on our bee populations and their health? Yeah, I mean, honeybees particularly are the most studied um, pollinator and uh, among the most studied insects. So we know a lot about honeybees, and so they can serve as a cannery in the coal mine. You're exactly right. Um, for the entire environment, I'm not sure that that's that might be a little bit of a stretch because obviously, um, you know, mammals and other organisms are are affected very differently than insects. Uh, but certainly, that's true for the honeybee in, in sort of the insect community. Uh, cool. Well, you know, as you, hopefully people will keep coming in with their their anecdotal information and maybe be able to add to the to the more official uh, record as we go through this. And I know you'll be watching it uh, through the summer and see how they do. So, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, Perhaps we'll check in with you later in the year and be able to get an update on our bees. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Outstanding. It's been great talking to you this morning. Thank you. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.